Why are the life and teachings of Jesus important for disciple-making? If you ever feel stuck rather than transformed, then I hope you stick around to hear about intentional relational discipleship. So you might be thinking, why talk about this again? We have discipleship, I know discipleship, I've heard this lesson before. Clarity around what a disciple is can be fuzzy. What's the most famous painting in the world? And if you're thinking the Mona Lisa, you're correct, but what color are her eyes? What's in the background of the painting? How large is the painting? Does she have eyebrows? And she actually used to have eyebrows and then they got wiped off during cleaning and everyone thinks she doesn't have eyebrows now. Well, we think we can know something sometimes when really we don't actually know it. The fact is she has eyebrows, but we think she doesn't. Or the fact is we know the Mona Lisa, right? We know everything about it, but actually I just kind of think it's a painting of a woman, not sure about the rest. These paradigms are the lenses through which we see the world. So I have a paradigm of what I think a disciple is, but facts don't always matter when it comes to paradigms. Galileo was considered a heretic in his day for saying the earth circled the sun, which was a fact, but it wasn't the paradigm everyone else was under. Well, the same thing can happen in our churches when we have a paradigm of discipleship that doesn't match Jesus's style. So to combat those paradigms, let's look at Jesus's style. The Christian life is not about information, it's about transformation. So in your discipleship, have you been feeling stuck or transformed? It is very possible to hear the teachings of Jesus and not obey them. And when we do, we find ourselves stagnating for years and years and years, stuck as Christians. When we only hear and don't obey the teachings of Jesus, our churches make attenders and converts rather than obedience-based disciples to King Jesus. And ask yourself, what is the world looking for? More information to remain stuck and stagnant with? Or is it looking to be transformed into the image of Christ? Is it looking for something it can trust and obey and be changed by? You know, in Jesus's words, being stuck or being transformed is the difference of sand or rock. Take a look over in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. It's a parable of two foundations, and Jesus explains that it's the difference of hearing his teachings and actually building our lives upon them with rock-solid obedience. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. A few observations about this teaching from Jesus. Most people I study the Bible with, I say, what is the rock in this passage? And they say, the rock is Jesus. Because... They have a paradigm, a preconceived notion. Maybe they heard that in a song, and it does come from a psalm. Hey, you're absolutely right. The rock is Jesus, but not in this passage. In this passage, it's putting into practice the teachings of Jesus that is building your house on the rock. It doesn't actually say that Jesus himself is the rock. And so we have to challenge those paradigms asking, hey, where do you see that in this passage? Then bringing the message of the parable See, both men went through the same storm. The 
Same circumstance, but the difference was everything. Just coming to church and hearing the words of Jesus, admiring his life, that's a start, but we actually have to put them into practice to be his disciple. Jesus is placing one big equal sign between living a life that doesn't get destroyed and being a disciple of his teachings, putting them into practice. A few verses later, after hearing this teaching, the crowds say this, and I think that our reaction should be the same. In verse 28 29, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. The crowds are kind of like, who does this guy think he is? They're amazed at his authoritativeness. And, well, he thinks he's the son of God. That's one reason for his authority. He speaks as one who has authority, but he also had the moral authority. He wasn't like the Pharisees who didn't put into practice their teachings. Jesus lived and embodied his teachings. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. His life was his message. I think the crowd is also astonished because Jesus says, hey, if you don't live this sermon, you're like the fool on the sand. And that word doesn't come up a lot in the Gospels. It's from the Greek word moros, where we get our modern English word moron. He, that might be a little offensive to some people. Hey, if you don't do this, you are a fool, a moron. So maybe they're a little bit offended by that. You know, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think this is challenging. Man, I'd have to be stupid to live this way, but Jesus knows better. I'd be stupid not to live this way and not to live out his teachings. You know, throughout the centuries, the Sermon on the Mount has been ridiculed by some, treated as a wild ideal by others, and made into a lifestyle by very few. Same with Jesus-style disciple-making. Ridiculed, a wild ideal, or is it a lifestyle? Is it rock-solid and obedience-based? This is a sermon for us to live. It's absolutely worthless, however, if we don't live it. And we'll be stagnant. It's only when the words and realities of the Bible are lived in our life that we experience transformation. We'll begin to experience the world of Scripture coming to life within us. Just as Jesus put the equal sign between his life and teachings, his life and his message. He wants his disciples to do the same, to have that resolved as we disciple others, to ask each other, hey, are, is this sand or rock that you're putting into practice here? So that we can say, my life is my message. That crowd's reaction of being astonished, perhaps they were overwhelmed by the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, as I often am. Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed when it comes to disciple-making, which I think is why right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has all these interactions commending people for their faith. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount, you will need faith. And the crazy thing is that Jesus has faith in us. He knew those crowds. He knows us today. He gives us his spirit. What he commands of us, he empowers us to accomplish. He has faith that we can live his teachings and make disciples, but we need to believe in ourselves as well and his ability to work through us. When you walk by faith in this way, you'll always experience the hostility, the rebuke of people who walk by sight without that faith. When they see the moral authority in your life, they also see that it's lacking in their own. So when you disciple somebody, believe in them. Believe that they can follow Jesus. Help them to respond faithfully to what God has revealed to them through his word. You know, Jesus, he knew who he was, God's son. Do you know your identity in Christ as a child of God? 
That should give you a sense of authority and confidence, who you are and whose you are. You can speak and act and disciple with authority when you're under God's authority. And you're acting within that when your life and teachings correspond with his life and teachings. So, is your discipleship sand or rock? A life that crumbles or a rock-solid foundation? Are you a part of a church that produces attenders or serious disciples of Jesus? You know, often in my discipleship times, I simply ask, hey, what does Jesus say to do and what do we do instead? let's align with his life and teachings so that we're on the rock and not the sand. We're always evaluating, is it rock or sand? Am I intentional enough in this discipling? Am I relational enough? And am I experiencing the transformation today? What are the differences in how we deliver messages, respond to messages, and treat the Word of God? So Jesus said that his greatest commandment was to love God and to love people, right? Well, he got that from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. You know, the Israelites valued this passage so much that they incorporated it into their daily prayer life. They called it the Shema, and they recited it daily. Jesus didn't only pray a prayer, though. He daily lived a Shema lifestyle. In word and deed, when he did something, he gave credit to the glory of God. When he loved other people, he said it's because of who he was and who he was following. And so, Jesus was raised living out the Shema. He was discipled within his family according to the Shema. And when it came to discipling his disciples, he used the same word and deed, Shema, lifestyle. It was intentional, relational, and leading to transformation. But don't skip over the why. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's this unifying force of all creation. The New Testament idea is that Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to have this lifelong pursuit of seeking him and loving him, and that's why I'm going to engage in a Shema lifestyle or discipleship lifestyle. See, God wants a people who will love him. I love God, and so I look at Deuteronomy 6, and I disciple my children to obey and love God as well, because I want them to love him as much as I love him. That's a motive for my discipleship there. So this loving pursuit of God in Deuteronomy 6 was to be their conversation as they walked along the road, as they went to bed, as they rose in the morning. It was this daily devotion that was to be imputed into a child's heart. It was made evident as you walked into their home. These people love God. Man, it's in their decor. It's, it's even written on their foreheads sometimes. That takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of intentionality, takes a lot of relationship and lifestyle. So, I'm intentional as a parent. I'm intentional in my discipleship times. We set goals, we set dates, we set times to get together. We bring up accountability and confession. We're intentional about those things. It can take a lot of diligence to disciple children, believe me. But you also see Deuteronomy 6 envisioning many natural conversations through the everyday stuff of life. It's in these relational conversations that we integrate the teachings of God. 
So Shema actions are met with Shema words. So I tell my daughter, you know, why are we helping to feed a neighbor? Because we love God and God loves that neighbor. With discipling partners in the church, we're not just meeting together for appointments, we're also meeting together to have fun, to have a life-on-life relationship where they know me and I know them, and I'm not scratching my head wondering how they live their life at work or how they treat their wife at home, but I know what they're doing this week and next week. It's relational. And as you pursue that intentional relational discipleship, you want to ask if you're experiencing transformation. So you might ask if it's Holy Spirit empowered. Are, are you incorporating prayer and confession? And is it obedience based? Because those are the areas where you're going to experience transformation into Christ-likeness. So Jesus took his upbringing and that Shema lifestyle into his own ministry. And he gave us a life to imitate so that we could follow him walk in his steps and obey him. The way he communicated was whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, meaning whoever wants to really truly know and understand this teaching must put it into practice. John 1.26 says it this way, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, to walk as he walked, to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So that's how Jesus taught and communicated in his day. How do we communicate and teach today? or experience information and receive it within the church. Well, when I opened my email this morning, I skimmed the subject lines and I went delete, delete, to get. <laughs> well, when I opened my email this morning, I skimmed the subject lines and I went delete, 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 and I sifted through all the information because I don't have time to read it all. I said, what's important and what am I going to pay attention to? And when I scroll social media, I might go, haha, funny video, oh, that's great, I need to share that, wow, I need to remember that. But then I can't remember the last five videos I watched. I'm taking in so much information, I don't even have time to meditate on it. Now, filtering is good and necessary with all of our fake news and artificial intelligence out there, but we need to be so careful that we don't treat the Word of God that way. When God speaks through His Bible or promptings from His Holy Spirit, we need to turn off the filters and carefully attend to what he says. You need to slow down, stop multitasking, give him undivided focus. When Jesus speaks, he means what he says, he does what he says, and he expects us to do what he says. In this age of all this false and meaningless information, we need to learn to treat God's word as authoritative, as immediately relevant to us, and as something to be revered. We cannot disregard what Jesus has to say the way we do all this other information in our life. And as I'm formed by media around me, I'm tempted to, and as I'm formed or discipled by all the media around me, I'm tempted to just listen. And then tempted to just listen to the teachings of Jesus rather than hear and obey them in the way that the Bible intends and Jesus intends. Don't treat the good news like your morning media news with all these decontextualized facts that aren't actionable. Jesus wants his word, his good news, to be actionable for our life. He wants it to have a direct, practical impact on our life, to have a balanced ratio of receiving information and acting on that information. So don't treat the Holy Bible, the breath of God, like entertainment news. In our day and age, because we're used to filtering and ignoring a majority of the information around us, it's almost impossible to disciple somebody, 
who hasn't made Jesus the Lord of their life to make all of his message actionable. If we just teach people God's word for them to pick and choose what they feel like applying or not, that isn't discipleship. It's sand and not rock. So let's remediate our cultural patterns, our paradigm of receiving information to have Jesus-style discipleship. When God speaks, it should be personal, timely, and authoritative. In short, we should be amazed, just like that audience in Matthew 7. At the end of the day, how can we ask the world to trust us when we don't trust Jesus with our life? Sometimes I look at his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, and I think this is crazy. I know how to live my life better. But Jesus knows better. The world needs to see that we trust Jesus, that we trust he knows better for our life, that we follow him, that as his life was his message, my life is my message. That's what the world can trust. That's the rock-solid foundation the world is looking for. Do you trust that Jesus knows how to live your life better than you do, to live your life to the fullest according to his teachings? Do you trust him to work in you? Do you have faith that you can live out his teachings? He knows you. He believes in you. Will you know him and believe in him and experience his transformation, or will you settle for the sand? You know, we all trust Jesus for the afterlife, but it's time to start trusting him for this life. So I ask you, sand or rock? Stuck or transformed? So how do you treat the teachings of Jesus? Do you filter and evaluate and pick and choose what you feel like applying? Or do you obey immediately, completely, and wholeheartedly? Put this information into practice. Seek out intentional, relational discipleship so that you can experience transformation 